0: Amen. Thank you, Lauren. Had balcony shout out. You guys are great back there. If anyone doesn't want to come in, there's a room, there's a room up here, This spot around the back. You're welcome to come. I like being around. It's so good uh, to be a community together. I also know if it makes you feel uncomfortable, it's, it's okay. You just hide out somewhere, find a spot, and we're, we're not going to look at you. All right? Don't worry. Today was, is our last Tuesday chapel of the semester believe it or not it's crazy we're here and we've been going through this journey in the gospel of mark seeing as people meet jesus how they are changed and everything has changed as they meet jesus and we have been experiencing that with them alongside them remember mark 1 1 where we started this semester the beginning back in september the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the good news about jesus the messiah the son of god This is how Mark begins the gospel. And it's like, it's the the thesis statement, the preview. This is what it's all about. This good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Son of God. This is where he's going. The whole point of Mark is to tell us about who Jesus is as King and Son of God, Wonderful professor Emeritus Jim Edwards, has an incredible commentary on this book, The Gospel of Mark. He says the two themes of The Gospel of Mark are the meaning of Jesus and the meaning of faith. The meaning of Jesus and the meaning of faith. In other words, who Jesus is and what we do about that. So if the whole Gospel of Mark is a pointing towards this, who Jesus is as the Son of God and King, well we're coming to the end of the Gospel of Mark, and we might have a bit of a problem because no one seems to have gotten it. Fifteen chapters later, there's, we've only had that one moment when, when we hear this is what it's supposed to be, but no one else in the story has picked up the plot. We've seen it again and again. Remember that the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, as they, as, as they tested Jesus to see if he healed the man with the withered hand, Remember? And they said, there's no way. God doesn't do that. We know what God's like. God's given us these these ways of living and rules to live right with him. And it doesn't include healing on the Sabbath. Well, remember the disciples. Three times Jesus tells them, hey, I'm going to suffer and die. And three days later, rise. And three times they say, no, 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 Jesus, not that. And actually, Jesus, when you're that glorious king you're going to be, remember me, okay? They don't get it. They don't understand throughout. We see example after example, example of things we've we've preached on and talked about here together. And I think a common theme, what is it about it? Why don't they see Jesus? I think it's because they all fail to see Jesus on his terms. They had some way of thinking, we know what God's like. We know what this Messiah is going to be like. We know what a son of God could look like. And it's not someone who breaks God's rules. It's not someone who suffers. God, sons of God, Messiahs don't suffer. No, that's not it. And so they don't allow themselves to actually see Jesus for who he is on his terms. And before we point the finger at them too quickly, actually what about us do we see Jesus on his terms or do we have some ideas we know what God's like we know what Jesus is like or we at least want him to be this way I mean we want a Jesus maybe some of us like me who who looks like me thinks like me baptizes the things I care about those are the most important right And the not people I care about that's what really matters or a Jesus who's tame safe Jesus that's what God, God, just wants me to be happy and comfortable, right? Nothing uncomfortable, nothing gets me out of my comfort zone or, or makes, makes me feel like I have to give something up or sacrifice something. No, I don't like that. God's not like that. I don't, I, I don't see that. Maybe it's the tame Jesus. It's just nice. Just be nice. Jesus, be nice. We'll be nice. Everyone's nice. We all love each other. Happy days. We'll sing... Maybe it's a little bit like Santa Claus Jesus. I'll be good, Jesus gives me good things, and we don't have to worry about him muddling with the rest of my life. You know, these things we have, these perceptions, these commitments about God and ourselves to get in the way, it's as if we were trying to look at a glass, through a glass window, but we put up these, these conceptions, these ideas about what God must be like, what Jesus must be like, and it's pretty tough to see not much you guys can see my face. I can't see yours very well. This is what happens when we fail to let Jesus show himself to us on his terms. We put our terms in the way, our standards in the way. We can't see very well. Well, this is what's happened through the whole Gospel of Mark, all the way to the end. And we come to chapter 15 today, and it's still happening, it's still going on. Remember, we just last week talked about uh, Peter and Peter's denial in the the courtyard of the high priest. Remember, Jesus had been arrested, and he had this false nighttime trial, accusations in in the high priest. and, And Peter denied Jesus, and then those Jewish leaders lead him into Pilate, to Pilate, the governor of the Roman people there. And they accuse him again. And they say, this is is the king of the Jews. Jesus doesn't defend himself, but they they keep on calling, and even they rile up the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, what do you want me to do with this king of the Jews? Well, he sends him, Pilate gives in, right? He sends him him off to be uh, scourged and then to be crucified. And we see in chapter 15, the soldiers take him away. And they clothe him in a purple cloak, twist some thorns into a crown, and put it on him. And they begin saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews. They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Mocking, you you see the irony, of course, right? This one who we know, Jesus, the King, the Son of God, they don't. The king gets mocked, a purple robe, a crown of thorns, spit on, mocked again and again, king of the Jews. And then they hang him on a cross at 9 a.m. 9 a.m. This all happened so early. At 9 a.m., he's hung on a cross, and above him is a sign that reads, the king of the Jews. With him, they crucified him, two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, mocked him again. Shaking their heads and saying, "Aha, you who destroy the temple in three days and build it in three days. Save yourself." The mocking continues as Jesus hangs there between these two criminals. Six hours pass, and Jesus hangs there as a, a sign, the Romans put him up there right where everyone could see to make sure this is what, to make sure they know. This is what happens when you rebel against Rome and against Caesar shame and suffering is what's going to come to you if you stand against Rome. And so Jesus slowly suffers and he comes to a place of the deepest pain, physical, emotional, spiritual pain and says, "Eloi, ila, ila, Eloi, lama sabachthani?" My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He breathes a loud cry and breathes his last And it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus dies. And no one gets it. No one sees him for who he really is because of all the assumptions in the way. Except for one. There's one who's been watching. There's one who's been watching, one who sees Jesus, one who really sees Jesus for the first time in the whole Gospel of Mark. There's one who sees. And maybe I think he was there when he was dragged before Pilate and he was accused of being the king of the Jews and Jesus was silent as a sheep being led to the slaughter. Maybe he was there standing by the centurion when he started mocking him and spitting on him and, and instead of, of hitting back or cursing back, Jesus was silent and looked at them with eyes of compassion. As Jesus was hung on the cross and was mocked by the bandits next to him, Jesus didn't deride them or condemn them. He even then was, looked to them with compassion. And then he was there as he saw Jesus breathe his last, even in his deepest, darkest moment, cry out and trust to God, my God, my God, Jesus, This man saw Jesus. He saw Jesus on Jesus' terms. And it changed everything for him. Mark 15, 39. Now when the centurion who stood facing him, this leader of the Roman soldiers, saw in this way Jesus breathed his last, the man said, truly this man was God's son. Truly this man was the son of God. This centurion, no surprise, an outsider. The outsiders in Gospel Mark are the only ones who ever get anywhere close to seeing Jesus. the garrisonrosene demoniac, the bleeding woman, the woman with the alabaster jar, the sinful woman. They're the ones who kind of see it, and now this outsider finally sees Jesus. He lets Jesus see him on his own terms, on his own terms, instead of doing it instead of having his preconceived notions of what God must be like. He sees Jesus for who he really is. and Things start to clear up. He starts to see Jesus for who he really is. See, we expected God to be a God who comes to use his power for his own flourishing. This is how we do it, right? We use our power for our flourishing. My, my, my children love board games, actually any kind of game. We're suckers for any of them. And this weekend, for the first time, we played Risk. Anyone played Risk before? Um, my children had so much fun with it, they were all over it. We played three, three games in three days, and they're long games, if you know, we played Risk all the way to the end. And we, what's the point of Risk? What's the point of Risk? To conquer the world, right? Domination, right? This is what power's for, to dominate, to finish, to have only yellow all over that board. I was yellow. Uh, right, that's what that's we what do. This is how we think of power. Power is used for our own flourishing. And so when we have that lens thinking of Jesus, he can't be the son of God. This can't be the Messiah. But this man, he didn't have. He let it down. Somehow, he would let it go down so he could see Jesus for who he really was on his terms. And his eyes were open. And he saw Jesus actually came to suffer, to give, use his power for the flourishing of others. 1 Peter 3.18, Peter is probably one who told Mark these stories. 1 Peter 3.18 says this: Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring us to God. Christ suffered for the sins, died for sins once for all. Jesus gave up his power. He humbled himself and he became obedient to death for our sake, in order to bring us to God. In other words, I want to say this right. In the cross, we see clearly who Jesus is. This Jesus, the, cru- the crucified and risen Son of God, who died that we might flourish with God now and forever. Let's keep that up there, Garrett, all Right? Jesus is the crucified and risen Son of God who died that we might flourish with God now and forever. Jesus spent his power so that we could flourish. No one expected it. Everyone thought God must use power like we do, but if you think about the biblical story, you'd actually realize that's not how God does it. Through the whole story, think of creation. Whether you got created over, over billions of years or not, it doesn't matter, but that God chose to create. God chose to make something else, have being, and then make image bearers who would flourish and actually promote flourishing in his world. Think of the covenant. God chose Abraham to be a blessing to him, and then Israel, and through him to bless the nations. He chose, God did it, not 50-50 covenant. God said, I'm gonna give myself and my power and my love to you so that you can flourish and that everyone else through you will flourish. This is how God has always done it. God's always spent his flourishing, his power for the flourishing of others. And so Jesus spends his power for our flourishing with God now re- reconcile with God and forever, and then sends us out to share that flourishing with the world. Well, this centurion saw Jesus clearly. He set down his preconceived notions and let Jesus define the terms. And I can only imagine, Evangel, and come up him, G- the centurion, whether it was in his heart or maybe physically. When he said this, those words, truly this was the Son of God. Truly this is the Son of God. I just imagine, he must have been kneeling. Truly this is the Son of God. This is the only posture when we really see Jesus for who he is. A posture that says, I'm in. You're my Lord. You're the Son of God. I surrender to you. That's the posture of the centurion, the only one who gets it. And this is what Mark invites us to, a posture that says, I'm in, I surrender. You are the Son of God, you are the King, you are my Lord. In other words, if we were to sing it, it would be, "Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. O come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. May it be that we live that in word and deed. Let's stand and sing together. Go from here, joining with the centurion, looking at the cross of Christ, seeing the crucified and risen Jesus, and knowing that in him, we find that he has given his life, that we might flourish and share that flourishing in and through the power of the Holy Spirit this day and all our days. Go in peace.